0: This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at
1: cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing two spells. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we investigate apostates. And then with Embrace the Black Cube, we discuss Monty Cook's fifth design diary about dead visli. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With Careful Gaze of the Grigori, we discuss an element of the Invisible Sun RPG. In this segment, we want to talk about apostates as a type of character in the RPG. Up to this point, we've talked about the various orders, uh, including the Vances, the Weavers, the Makers, the uh, Goetics, and... is that it?
0: Uh, Weavers, Makers, Goetics, and Vances. Yes, okay. I
1: think I got all of them. Well, there is one group that is not a member of an order, and they are referred to as apostates. In fact, uh, I think a common mistake in talking about the game will be to talk about the order of apostates. But uh, I think an actual apostate would be very unhappy with that, because uh, the nature of being an apostate is that you are not in an order, uh, and the extent to which you are violently opposed to being in an order uh, will depend a bit on your character, but it's cooked in to the very nature of an apostate. Each of the previous orders defined the relationship between a character and magic. So a Goetic will focus on summoning. Uh, Her magic will involve negotiation and getting uh, summoned entities to do uh, her bidding. Whereas a Maker will build things uh, and a Weaver will uh, spontaneously create magical effects out of some elements that they control. So we had these views into each character's relationship with magic. With apostates, we don't have that. Uh, And within the information released so far for the game through the public updates, we don't have a lot to go on. So we'll be speculating more than usual here, uh, but that won't stop us. Uh, More than anything, we can talk about what we think the implication will be for characters not to have an order. And what that will mean for the stories we tell and the characters that people build. My guess is that, in the story at least, not having an order will result in magic being something that has to be either discovered on one's own. Uh, You can't go to the the Hall of the Apostates and ask to check out the Tome of Apostate Magic. uh, Because that would sound a lot like an order. Mm. So... Instead, you have, you'd you have a lot of uh, apostates looking for and scrambling, scrounging for magic. Uh, and I think it might look something like hedge magic in other systems uh, or this notion from uh, fiction, uh, history, and, and other stories where uh, the magic is unreliable. Um, it is cobbled together out of a poorly understood uh, conception of the universe and how magic works. But it still works. Uh, and it still gives you uh, some magic and some power.
0: And, yeah, in other settings, that, that power is put together in a haphazard sort of way. But to me, that strikes me as something that would be very strange for this setting, since the world is so steeped in magic, and there are people everywhere that know how to use magic. So an apostate who doesn't, you know, cast spells well seems like a possibility, but I don't know if that would really be common.
1: Well, and and maybe I, I take too seriously the notion of not casting spells well, because I think you're right. Mm-hmm. All the characters are going to be casting spells, and I don't think the inclusion of apostates as a character option means you're going to have a party with a bunch of people that cast spells and one that runs around and wishes they could cast spells. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, you know. and I, I don't think I, I took it that way. It's just... <laughs> It just sounded like, oh, hedge magic in these other settings is this, you know, it's not a great version of magic. But I think with the apostates, since they're in this world that's, you know, so infused with magic, it it seems like they would probably be competent with what they're doing. It's just that what they're doing is um, disorganized.
1: Yeah, maybe a better analogy is kind of the early, early uh, tech work with computers where you had a bunch of labs and bell labs doing their stuff that's kind of like the orders and different university teams are working on different approaches to computers and they have their different uh systems Mm -hmm. but then you've got people in their garages and the apostates are the equivalent of the people in their garages
0: so Uh, if you want to role play steve wozniak uh, here you go
1: the steve wozniak of of magic might be an interesting story to tell now that cakes or that bakes in some uh, notion of the story because we kind of fast forward a little bit and we know that the people in the garages that made not the only big breakthroughs but many of the big breakthroughs uh, and equivalently it, you might have a, a game that talks about how these apostates in their magical garages of sort coming up with their own magic and eschewing the support of but also the strictures of the orders could come up with their own powerful magics that remake the world But that's a different story than uh, one that focuses on the a a player climbing through the ranks of an order uh, as Mm -hmm. they become get access to more and more knowledge that developed over generations. Both are interesting stories, Uh, and I think with with apostates, that just is one more story you can tell Uh, the defiant and independent development of magic, as opposed to learning magic through a system that has existed across generations.
0: Yeah, that, that would be an interesting take on it.
1: And it, it might have other implications for character development. Uh, in previous uh, posts, and I think we've talked about it a bit on here as well, uh, We've there's been hints to suggest that as players advance, they could advance different parts of their character. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't a member of an order, if you are instead an apostate, I, there might be a mechanism for becoming more apostate um, or a stronger apostate. But uh, that doesn't seem to be in the spirit of being an apostate. Uh, it may be the case that you don't advance your apostate status, which means all those all that investment you could that other players are making to become better advances. You just become better in the other areas of your character you can. Uh, invest in So maybe you become a specialist in your forte and apostates may be distinguished in part by having really strong fortes that some that they've invested in. Whereas other characters are going to balance their, uh, may choose to balance uh, their advancement across forte and order and whatever else that they could a- advance in their character. Those are the most obvious um, in the analogy of the cipher system.
0: That would be interesting, but I think that would require the apostates to handle how they do their experience points in a different manner because we know that we have uh thinking back to what these terms are we have um joy and sorrow right and we have acumen and acumen and joy and sorrow uh come together to form crux which is how you're going to be advancing uh certain aspects of your character
1: but I want to say that, there, that they said that the same currency was used for order and Forte, but I'm not positive on that. So that may require additional research to verify. If it's the same currency for those two, then characters might be balancing across them with apostates naturally investing more in Forte and other characters possibly shifting or diverting some of those points into their order, uh, which would just be a different... It, it, it would suggest that it, it, if that's the case... Uh, players would want to who really want to focus on their forte like they whatever forte they choose that's what they really want to be in the cipher system it's like if that's your focus you really want that's what is most interesting about your character you'd pour your uh, advancement into that uh, Mm -hmm. and you might leave your type uh, behind or your descriptor behind in the cipher system well if an apostate's not member of an order and doesn't advance within an order maybe their forte advances faster than other characters that are advancing their order that's We'll see <laughs> as we learn yeah, we'll more about that. the uh, XP system. But that makes sense to me and uh, how that could still be balanced in the sense uh, that they care about balance, which isn't so much numerical, but narrative that your your XP investments are making your character more like the character you ideally want to play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so it just it opens narrative opportunities for you. Um, and it uh, while other characters are investing in other narrative opportunities, uh, it's not a matter of of investing in something that doesn't pay off, uh, that somehow leaves you without a narrative uh, hook into the game itself. So it's balanced in, in a narrative sense, potentially.
0: Uh, I do like that there is, uh, I can't call them in order, uh, I, I like that there is a group of Visley that is that might be interested in something that is not specifically magic. And mostly because I have a player who has expressed... Dis, well, disdain for magic users in other games that we've played. So this this might give her a you know an in for Invisible Sun.
1: Well and it might be interesting to play some apostates as being anti-magic, and that their work is actually designed to undermine magic. Um, mild spoilers, I'll be I'll I'll avoid anything specific, but there is a character in the Doctor Strange movie who becomes it seems uh, pretty anti-magic mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that might be a model for what one version of an apostate or one group of apostates uh, might pursue is that their goal is to end the tyrannical use of magic by the orders
0: yeah that sounds like an interesting npc group to run across
1: yeah and i thought of several other potential uh, npc groups you could make out of a apostates to tell different stories based upon sort of a political interpretation of apostates if if apostates are defined by their exclusion from the orders and the invisible church, that implies something about their politics and their their position within uh, Saturnine and the setting, and uh, the the world old world of darkness games uh, inspired two different versions of, of where you could take this, and they're not mutually exclusive. So uh, you have a, you, you proposed what, uh, the uh, a first. I can add two to that. Mm-hmm. So we have already the notion that they may be anti magic crusaders. Uh, alternatively, the apostates may be the equivalents of uh, anarchs in the world of darkness. These are, uh, in this case, vampires who are fighting against the established order. And so while there's sort of a, a positive and a negative, that's painting with a very broad brush and imprecise, but usually considered the kind of uh, uh, status quo versus the overturn the status quo uh, in, in a bloody rage, uh, typical factions within vampires. There's also these anarchs that are like, uh, you're all just the different sides of the same man. You're all, you're all in the same power structure. So they are anarchs and they're trying to tear down those power structures. And I can see apostates having this sort of revolutionary uh, anarchistic uh, approach towards magic and towards the uh, power in Saturnine. To go in a different direction, one could say that they aren't necessarily so revolutionary. They're simply neglected, that the order is the source of – or orders and the invisible church are the source of prestige in the setting. And that you have apostates then as those who are left out and left behind for whatever reason. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe some people have voluntarily left their order. Others may have been kicked out. Some may have never been – Members at all, um, and these are more like in the world in the, in the vampire uh, uh, what are called caitiffs. Caitiffs are people who uh, don't they don't know who their sires are. They are not claimed by any particular clan, and so they are just sort of left uh, listless and wandering in the in the world. Um, stories about caitiffs often emphasize their vulnerability and their exclusion, and, and use this, the, uh, their position to explore those themes in the stories. And I could see exploring similar themes with apostates, exploring themes of social exclusion, um, and by implication, then, what privilege looks like uh, for those in the order itself. That's just ways to explore some kind of political themes with the apostates. Uh, it does suggest there might be some challenges in combining apostates with members, of, other members of, of a party. If uh, if apostates are violent revolutionaries that are either vehemently anti magic or vehemently anti uh, invisible church, it might be hard to explain why they're palling around with a bunch of other uh, members in a party of visly.
0: I think that would make it challenging to justify which is why I don't think they would be vehemently opposed to magic. At least there might be factions out there that would be, but uh, for player characters, I, I don't think that would be the case.
1: Yeah, it's that's taking kind of an extreme stance for definitional purposes. There has to be something more moderate to allow them to realistically uh, join up with other members of a party to go do things uh, in an RPG, and that's kind of what we are here to do.
0: Yeah, and... Being opposed to, like, a a larger structure doesn't
1: mean that you're opposed to hanging out with your friends. That's true. And you might, you know, maybe tease as to you may bring to their attention the privileges they enjoy because of their membership in orders uh, Mm -hmm. and their complicity in those in the problems uh, perpetuated by the power structures of the orders. Um, so I, in the notes, for instance, I, I thought of, well, um, you, you might, your, your apostate might ask if your party is indigo woke. That is, you know, is your party, are the members of your party who are member of the order aware of the privileges that they uh, have experienced because of that membership? And then part of the exploration of the campaign, or maybe an individual character arc, might explore uh, how the privilege is expressed within Satyrene. Mm -hmm. Uh, for those who are in orders and then illustrated by the exclusion of the apostates.
0: Yeah, that would be a real, (laughs) that would be a really interesting uh, story arc to go through.
1: I think it would be challenging, but potentially Mm -hmm. rewarding. But that's, you know, we're speculating quite a bit. Uh, In some sense, we're talking about the absence, uh, which is always something that's difficult to talk about. We're talking about what, what does it mean for characters not to have an order? Uh, we have speculation on the mechanics of that uh, and a variety of stories that one that might come out of not having an order, uh, but we don't have a lot more to go on. But it seems that even a, a brief description that there are characters that don't have an order uh, and that they call themselves apostates is still able to support a variety of stories. So it'll be interesting to see when the game comes out, um, whether these stories are uh, woven into the narrative of the game, whether there are additional stories that come with a more detailed uh, presentation of what apostates are uh, and how they work within the setting. Uh, But hopefully this discussion at least inspires uh, some people that apostates might be really interesting characters to play and they might bring whole new uh, stories into the game. Uh, that would be difficult to explore through the orders themselves.
0: With Embrace the Black Cube, we talk about Monty Cook's ongoing design diaries. This time, we're talking about the fifth design diary, which is about dead player characters. So when I read through this one, well, when I read the title, uh, I, I was very excited to see that uh, he was going to be addressing Uh, Something that got dropped in the Kickstarter, I believe it was in the Kickstarter, that uh, there would be potential for player characters to continue to be part of the narrative even if they had been killed. It it brought up a whole bunch of questions for me when I first read that and saw that that might be happening. Uh, And the biggest one was, well, what does that mean for character death? Is that no longer a consequence to any of your players' actions anymore? Because if that is no longer a consequence, that seems well potentially interesting uh, and also a big shift from you know any sort of traditional role playing game like you know our go to Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a movement in a variety of games uh, in not just in the independent movement, but also in games that are somewhere in between traditional and independent games mm-hmm. that have more or less. I wouldn't say uh, eliminated or greatly reduced the frequency of character death. And so this wasn't entirely surprising. It wouldn't be entirely surprising to me to find out that, you know, one of the design goals may be we're we're trying to provide opportunities so that character death is not the end. So that people don't invest a lot in designing characters that then uh, fail their death save and and are wiped out Mm -hmm. of existence because they crawl into the wrong hole or whatever it may be. Uh, there's been, just like in, in, even in D&D, uh, there's been a move away from save or die um, and, you know, larger hit point pools in order to reduce the first, you know, the first level characters getting killed by one hit uh, by, from a creature. Uh, it, it, there's just been a big a movement away from those sorts of, of high stakes. High character rotation systems, except for those who are kind of embracing that, and that's where the system lies. Like Dungeon right. Crawl Classics, that's what the, that's the system's all about. That a lot of the OSR games are really like, we're going to churn through characters. But the good news is it takes five minutes to create them, uh, even if it only takes ten minutes to kill them. Right. You don't want to take two hours to kill, to create them and then they die because an orc critted on their first hit. And and that's very exciting. Uh,
0: I've I've played a little bit of DCC, and it is fun to watch characters get whittled down to nothing in short order. But with Invisible Sun, like one of the big pushes was to create characters that had story arcs and character arcs and development. And if you're gonna just flush all that away because you got critted and now you're dead after you know a dozen sessions, that seems that seems like a big investment that's not going to pay off. Uh, so now here we have the system where, hey, death isn't necessarily the end for your character, uh, and that's really exciting to me. That's. That's an interesting way to push a narrative. Uh, and it also, I think, kind of fixes one of the things that I disliked about character death as a punishment. I just, I personally don't like seeing characters get killed off. And it's always been hard for me to watch my players' characters slowly die over the course of three turns as they fail their death saves.
1: Yeah, I, I've almost always found that. Well, death is the least interesting of options one can take. Mm-hmm. And so even in systems where there were pretty hard hard rules about when you die and how many death saves you have and how you make those death saves, I mostly ignored those in the few cases where they came into play. And if a character rolled all the dice and so that they were they reached the stage where they actually were killed, uh, you might say I'm a softie or whatever, but I usually said, okay, let's come up with something interesting that happens that doesn't involve you never playing that character again. Unless the player does not want to play that character anymore. Then it's a convenient time to have a heroic death and they become replaced by whatever character the player wants to play. Uh, But if they really do like that character, uh, we instead use it to push the story forward. So uh, as an example in, I think it's Dungeon World, uh, characters, if they do the equivalent of of suffer mortal damage, uh, there's actually a, a sequence that takes place uh, where it des- th- their fate is decided. And it mm-hmm. really comes down to whether the player and the GM think that there's more story to tell and whether the, b- the story is better served by the character dying or not. Uh, and so there's a-, a, pro- a way within that system for you to, to keep playing even after sa- suffering mortal damage. Uh, this is serves a similar function in Invisible Sun, that even if you, su- you suffer mortal damage, there's a variety of ways you can continue playing uh, and which one you choose will depend upon what story you want to tell.
0: Yeah, and I suppose the variety of ways that you would continue playing starts with a choice. So let's say your character is killed. Um, you're going to be going off to the empty, which we don't have a whole lot of description here. It's just the nothing that nothingness that happens immediately after you're dead, uh, after you're killed. Um, it's going to last an unspecified amount of time. And basically, this is just sort of like a narrative break for your character. So if there's a scene or, you know, a fight going on that is the focus of the story at the time, you're probably not going to be coming back until that's resolved. And then you can, you know, the GM can address, you know, what to do with your character. Uh, once, once you're done being in the empty, then you get to make a choice. Uh, so as a player character, everybody gets to make this choice um, when, when you're dead, and you get to choose to either move on to the Pale Sun or not to. So if you move on to the Pale Sun, that's basically going to be retiring your character. And you're going to be creating somebody new that you're going to be you know, picking up with. Uh, if you choose not to move on to the Pale Sun, then you're going to be going through uh, all of the stages of being dead that Monty has detailed here in the Design Diary. Uh, which is um, pretty interesting. Uh, and I think before we get into that, uh, I do want to touch on uh, what Monty was shooting for when he was putting this stuff together. And first of all, he wants death to be unpleasant and, and inconvenient, so it's not a state that you're going to want to stay in for a very long time. Uh, and the other thing that he you know, pointed out was he wanted to draw from lore about ghosts to make ghosts function in the way you would expect them to in Invisible Sun. And when I was reading through, you know, what he wanted ghosts to act like, the lore he was pulling from is like, oh, you know, pop culture ghosts. Um, you know, he wants cold spots. He wants them to be able to affect solid objects. He wants them to be able to possess people, uh, basically spooky noises and chains rattling. You know, he wants the classic ghost uh, as as the goal for dead characters or dead NPCs that you've brought back as, you know, spirits. So, I think the one of the best touchstones for this, obviously there's Ghostbusters, but there's another one which is uh, Ghost, uh, a movie, maybe you've heard of it, starring... I have uh, heard of it. You have heard of it? Have you seen it? I have
1: heard of it. I have not seen it. I've seen scenes from it, <laughs> uh, but I have not actually seen it.
0: Oh, man. You should really watch Ghost. <laughs> I should probably watch it again because it's, it's probably still super cheesy and dumb, but it's probably still worth it, um, because it's basically a guy dies, he comes back, well he sticks around as a ghost and he learns how to you know affect the world as a ghost, uh, and then he makes you know clay pots in a really sexy way and it's really good.
1: That would be the one uh, scene that I've seen.
0: Yeah, that's the one scene everybody's seen. Um but yeah, you should totally watch it. And Patrick Swayze is great. And uh Yeah, he goes through these stages. He goes through a few of these stages. Um so back back to the stages, uh which Ghost, you know, lays out in pretty explicit detail. So you might say that Monty was probably watching a lot of Ghost while he was putting this together. Um but the stages are the first one is uh you're gonna start out as a little bitty baby ghost. Um, so you're just going to be a bit of qualia, uh, or a free-floating soul that, you know, just sort of exists in the world. Uh, and do you remember what the definition of qualia is? Is it really just your soul?
1: It. I don't recall it being defined much more than that. Uh, I know it's also one of the character stats.
0: Yeah, it's one of your big stat pools, which represents your, like, sorcery and sortilage and other, like brainy skills yes so i guess inferring from that qualia seems to be you know the spirit of your character um so when you're when you're this baby ghost you're gonna have well who knows what you're gonna have there's not a whole lot of detail here it was like one sentence but basically you move into the next stage in which you become an apparition so a a free-floating apparition if you will and in this period you can be seen and heard if you wish so this is the point where you're a spooky ghost, where you make scary noises and you can be seen. But when you become visible, you can basically do it however you want. So you can just show up as, a, you know, a pair of eyes or a disembodied hand, um, you know, however you want to do it. And at this stage, it seems like this is where you're going to start becoming, you might become useful as a ghost now. Uh Since you can be seen and heard, you might be able to communicate with the rest of your party members, and you would also be able to observe things. So one of the things that uh, Monty calls out later is that ghost characters would be very effective spies. So you'd be able to move in and out of places and, you know, do whatever a ghost could do and then, you know, report back and, you know, talk to the rest of your group because now you can be seen and heard if you wish to. So if you want to go undetected, uh, no worries. You can do that.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Um, And one thing that this corresponds to, or maybe, one thing that this helps us do is tell different types of ghost stories. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the notion of there being a progression, which is useful for character uh, design and and, uh, game design. It also explains why different ghost stories seem to allow ghosts to follow by different rules, and in some stories, ghosts can touch—you know—have ha- an effect on the world. Others, ghosts mm-hmm. are strictly prohibited from having uh, an effect on the physical world. Well, this explains all of it by saying, "Oh no, no, just that there's different types of ghosts." Um, right. In addition to the movie ghost, I think Ghostbusters has a whole system for this as well, where they refer to different ghosts as being different uh, types, and those different types interact with the world differently and so it's a way to allow you to have uh ghosts that that operate by different rules and so you have some that are simply there for uh, information uh that can you know, can be heard but not interact with the world you have others that can punch you right in the face
0: oh and we're getting to that uh but before we get to that uh there's another note that says that uh ghosts require someone to be aware of them so if if a ghost, if nobody's aware of a ghost, then that ghost is going to be suffering. Um, so it's in your best interest to make people aware that you're around. So maybe you're going off on you know a secret secret spy mission as a ghost and if you're trying to you know just be unnoticed, you're going to be suffering in some sort of way while you're doing that unless you are making the people you're spying upon aware of your presence. And if you're doing that, you know, in this setting, they'd probably know what's up. Uh, So the next stage is the poltergeist stage. And this is where you can actually affect the physical world. So you can interact with objects, you can, you know, punch people in the face, or you can triumphantly hit the, you know, sign in a subway as you're going out, because you learned how to, you know, focus your ghost power by, you know, because this ghost bum on the subway train told you, told you how to do it I'm telling you you should watch ghost it's really good
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm going to have to watch it again cuz uh, i'll classify it, it
1: my favorite ghost movie later
0: good so yeah uh, the yeah that stage is the poltergeist stage you can you can do stuff now once you're ready to graduate from being a poltergeist you move on to becoming a haunting spirit and this is an interesting stage because now you can anchor yourself, anchor yourself to objects. You can animate objects. Uh, you can also possess people. Uh, one of the interesting animation tricks you could do is to animate a corpse and walk around as a you know your dead body. I suppose that would be one way to do it. Is this is this your favorite movie or is it the next step?
1: Uh, animating your own uh, dead body is. Uh, involved in one of my favorite ghost movies, but not my favorite.
0: Man, uh, would the haunting spirit be the case that happens in uh, The Legend of Hell House?
1: Um, I think that could be, yeah, that a, a haunting of a location could. Uh, might work for a haunting spirit. Haunting spirit seems to cover a lot. I've I mentioned before mm-hmm. that I was a big fan of the Wraith uh, RPG. Right. The way they handled this was not by a lot, not by having ghosts progress through all of the stages. They had they just said ghosts had different guilds, and guilds emphasized different abilities. Okay. Some of them emphasized abilities related to moving objects around. Some of them uh, possessing people. And uh, so they, you know, th- those were, were two different paths one could take for ghosts. Uh, they weren't a progression from A to B, but they were uh, a choice of all the different paths one can take. Uh, and in that, uh, though, in that, all ghosts had something that tied them to the world, and they called these fetters. Okay. And so all of them had an object, but only some people could animate objects. Only others are some ghosts. Only other ghosts could possess people only other ghosts could have other uh, could could manipulate emotion um, in uh, in people uh, in a way that wasn't really possessing them. Uh, so they had a forking path rather than a progression.
0: okay that's cool. Uh, and fetters you said are what anchored them to the world or that's yes okay.
1: So it might be an, uh, as typically an object that had a lot of emotional resonance with that particular wraith, and it represented what tied them left in in some sense, what their un, unfinished business was that tied them to the world.
0: That would be yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I don't, I'm not getting a sense that your choice, you know, gives you a mission that ties you to the world. I think you just, it's kind of your choice to play as a ghost how you want to.
1: Yeah, I don't get that sense from this article either. Um, I'm just saying that's an example of how Mm -hmm. uh, that particular RPG, the Wraith, Wraith the Oblivion RPG, uh, anchored ghosts to objects. And I don't get this, uh, in this description, I don't get that same sort of bindingness, though one could certainly roleplay that.
0: Yeah. So on the next stage, we're going to be moving up to the final stage, which is the Phantom stage. Uh, And at this point, you can. I'm guessing that you can do everything you could do before, uh, but now you can also make your own. You can make a body out of ectoplasm. So ectoplasm is making an appearance here, which is you know standard ghost stuff. Since who knows when I would say Ghostbusters, but it's probably been around before that. But yeah, that's cool. That's a neat little trick. I bet you can make all sorts of interesting bodies out of ectoplasm, not just you know your previous form. So this leads to your favorite movie, and I'm not sure which one it was. I was trying to think of what it might be.
1: Nope, nope, not this one either. Not really. Not much ectoplasm in my favorite movie.
0: But we don't have any more any more stages. What's going on?
1: Oh, well, I mean, uh, mine's we left mine back before. Ah, okay. Uh, and there, there's a, a twist to mine later, but we'll get to that when we actually talk about movies. Uh, but oh, okay. one thing I thought of when reading about Phantoms is... There is the possibility that one might want to play a ghost. That may be an interesting character arc that a person wants to play for an extended period of time. And having these stages, uh, including some where you can build a body out of ectoplasm or have uh, extensive abilities to manipulate the uh, physical world from your ghostly position, uh, make it realistic for a player to spend an extended period of time as a ghost, uh, if mm-hmm. she chooses. And I think that's an interesting option, to mix those in uh, to the uh, options that characters have with orders and other things. You'd still be the same person, the same personality, uh, but you would be changing your power set to some extent. And to what extent, we don't know beyond the paragraphs that we have. But as that intrigued me.
0: Yeah, uh, you would be the same person, but... Um, okay, so... There are... Okay... The stages here that we've, we've just gone through, uh, these are the framework that this is the framework that Monty's using to help design more mechanics around you know, dead, in, uh, dead PCs. Uh, there's going to be spells and other things that you're going to be able to use to make your time as a ghost easier. Uh, because remember uh, right at the top we said that uh, being a ghost is something that was designed to be unpleasant and inconvenient. So you might want to be a ghost for a while, but it's going to be it's not going to be ideal there there might be something very specific you're trying to achieve but you're going to have a harder time interacting with the rest of the world as compared to the rest of your party Um, and also once you're once you're done being a ghost or maybe even uh, as part of the process of becoming a ghost there are going to be psychic scars that you're going to have to deal with uh, so there's going to be some sort of spell or ritual that's going to return you to the world of the living, uh, but you're still going to have these scars that you acquired by going through this whole process. So yeah, you're you're going to be the same person, but there's going to be some sort of toll you're going to pay that will change your you know your personality in some sort of way. Which I'm glad that there's something there to, you know, sure you can be a ghost for as long as you want. But there are going to be some permanent ramifications to it that you're going to be working through for a while.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, In the first part of the essay, I thought it was leading up to uh, the revelation that you could more or less continuously play Mm -hmm. a ghost uh, PC. But he seemed to very deliberately walk away from that at the end and say, no, no, no. There's still going to be enough that limits what you can do that you will not want this to be a permanent condition. This might be a fun vacation, but it is not uh, a, a new character option that runs parallel to the rest of the system.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, had it been a whole nother, like character type you could have created, uh, well, then we have you know, mage in here, now we're adding wraith in here, Um, you know, (laughs) then, you know, the next expansions could be, you know, pulling in vampire, and then, you know, let's throw werewolves in, we'll just recreate the whole world of darkness, it'll be cool. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that that may be one of the reasons why uh, that he, he didn't want to make this a persistent option.
0: So we want to talk about some movies here, don't we?
1: I think some have come up, but there's a lot more to talk about.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of great ghost movies that we can talk about. Um, so yeah, let's yeah let's get to it. Um, ghost. <laughs> I gotta say, Ghost is one of the movies I think about when it's like, hey, what would it, what would it be like to be a whole new ghost? Like you just woke up and you're a ghost now. What would that be like? Well, here that that movie is all about it. Um, and enough joking out of the way. Uh, Ghostbusters is great. Everybody watch Ghostbusters, uh, and they have some—they have great technical terms for some of their ghosts. But the only one I can remember off the top of my head is a free-floating apparition.
1: That's the one that comes to mind for me as well. But I—I I was going to say I, I like the systemization that they suggest exists for ghosts, mm-hmm. and it, it provides the sort of architecture for thinking about types of ghosts and levels or stages of a ghost. Uh, that might be useful in thinking about the game, even if it is a you know, <laughs> quite a different take. Uh, then again, I can imagine a ghost-busting campaign set in Saturine where uh, something's wrong with the Pale and ghosts are being pushed back into uh, Saturine and uh, you got to call someone. So
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because... Um... Ghosts that come back from the pale, uh, they are disturbed and insane, and they are referred to as wraiths.
1: Yes, and we probably want to say bust those wraiths.
0: Yeah, wraithbusters. Mm-hmm. That's uh, mm the... Cool new franchise. You know, we got to reboot (laughs) that thing.
1: Uh, there's
0: another horror movie that I remember from when I was a kid called Poltergeist, which Mm -hmm. I remember being terrified of it. Uh, and it was a cool movie about a family being terrorized by evil, well, ancient spirits that were, you know, tossing their house around and making weird things happen to, uh, TVs and clowns in closets and, you know, slabs of meat crawling across the floor. Uh, I've been told that it doesn't hold up as well as you would like it to
1: yeah and it was remade last year or two years ago but I haven't yeah. seen the new version
0: I haven't either so sorry people uh, but uh, poltergeists I from what I remember it was a pretty good pretty good movie about you know creepy scary poltergeists which is one of the stages that you can be in invisible Sun.
1: Yeah, I think in in ghost lingo, it is often, uh, poltergeists often refer to ghosts that are are haunting a specific location and have some limited ability to control objects within that location. Not enough to, like, write you notes and be helpful, but just enough to be destructive and crazy and dangerous and scary.
0: Yeah, I I think I remember they usually get referred to as something that's more of a nuisance than something that's dangerous. Uh, I think Dr. Peter Venkman even suggests there was a poltergeist in uh dana's apartment but he was also just you know bs her so whatever
1: <laughs> and uh i don't know does polter mean place in german i'm pretty sure it means chicken <laughs> well uh since geist means ghost um chicken ghost may be its own category and uh that is that probably exists as a movie uh i will have to check if troma has made that movie yet but something makes me oh, think they Poultry
0: have. Poltergeist is definitely a movie.
1: Yes. What other film? Uh, you, you still have not guessed my favorite yet. So what? Are, sorry, other... I
0: was just looking up Polter. Oh. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: Poltergeist is German for noisy ghost.
1: Noisy. Okay.
0: Yeah, that makes sense too. Yes. Um. So you're. Oh, I'm trying to think of what your, mov- your favorite movie might have been. Uh, you you did add The Haunting to our list.
1: That was a pretty big clue.
0: Okay. Well, then
1: it's The Haunting. <laughs> right. And not that newer version, but the original version uh, of The Haunting is maybe may my favorite movie right now. Like, of all movies. Oh, I'm going to have to watch it then. It's, it's very good. I find it very affecting. Um, and uh, I like it a lot. Uh, though it, it has... A, let's see by the developments uh, order in this article, it is probably somewhere between apparition and Poltergeist. The, uh,
0: so the haunting this is a haunted house movie.
1: Yes, It is based on the haunting of Hill House, uh, okay. the novel and uh, by Shirley Jackson. And uh, it one interpretation is that there is no ghost. That everything you see is explainable by the disturbed psychological condition of the characters. Okay. Uh, But there's also the interpretation that this is a freaking haunted house. And (laughs) terrible things are happening. (laughs) That drive the characters insane.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, So the haunting is possibly a haunted house. So you said it was between apparition and poltergeist?
1: Right. So again, this gets back to the the dispute over whether anything supernatural even happens. Most of what happens is based on the perceptions of the characters, Mm -hmm. though those perceptions feel like things being moved and affected in the world. But there is no ectoplasmic entity that tries to strangle anybody or anything like that.
0: You know, that that sounds a lot like The Legend of Hell House.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, they are related. They're, they're, the Haunting of Hell House is based on a Richard Matheson novella, yeah. but uh, they're they're similar in, in important ways in terms of of the ghost. Uh, yeah, to give you and
0: I'm not sure. I think I may have actually seen The Haunting a long time ago, because um, I think I've only read The Legend of Hell House, and I haven't actually seen the movies that were that were based on it. Yeah, I'm guessing maybe there was just one. I'm not sure. But I, I recall that they had a similar thing that they explained away the ghosts in the end as, uh, like, I'm spoiling this, uh, like, 70-year-old story. It's not 70 years old, is it? More like uh, 50. Yeah. Um, but it was like... It was... It was like the energy of the guy who died. He had created some room in his house that was going to focus it so that he could just sort of live on in the afterlife forever but it was having you know negative effects on the surrounding area
1: yeah that's that's the uh the haunting of of hell house um the haunting is less concrete about what's going on
0: okay even less concrete
1: Yeah, and for really bizarre historical context, the director of The Haunting made this in between two other films you may have heard of that he also directed, West Side Story and The Sound of Music.
0: That's uh, an interesting trio of movies.
1: But he also directed The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Andromeda Strain, and the original Star Trek The Motion Picture.
0: Wait, the original Star Trek The Motion
1: Picture? Yep. Yep. He also directed Run Silent, Run Deep. Uh, He had an incredible career as a director.
0: I thought somebody totally different directed the original Star Trek. Um, I'm not even going to mention who I think it was, (laughs) because I've been thinking that for a very long time.
1: Well, the director's name is Robert Wise.
0: Robert Wise. Yeah, I definitely know that name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that's a really interesting repertoire of films. (laughs) Yeah. some other movies we've got here we've got uh, the sixth the sixth sense mm-hmm. uh which is a that's a really good ghost movie
1: it is yeah especially the first time you watch it
0: yeah um and i'd say you got a whole bunch of apparitions in there um probably some oh yeah definitely some poltergeists mm-hmm. and
1: probably some haunting spirits as well yeah the crown for most variety of ghosts may go to the frighteners by peter jackson oh i love the frighteners I'm a big fan of that myself. Uh, mostly, I guess you would say you have uh, the uh, uh, the fan- or, yeah the phantoms. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say exactly what some of them are, but they have a variety of skills in how they manifest themselves and how they affect the world around them. So, mm-hmm. kind of they're different examples for up and down these stages, and it's just a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it is a ton of fun. Yeah, the, the one of Peter Jackson's most underrated films.
1: Yeah, my character for the Cyphercast Chronicles uh, actual play is based upon Jeffrey Combs' investigator character from The Frighteners.
0: Oh, yeah? I'm going to have to watch this movie again. It's been a while. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah, I, I think it was last year I went to a horror convention where they had a kind of a, a reunion of some of the cast of Frighteners, uh, which basically meant Jeffrey Combs and uh, one of the women who was the uh, main uh, antagonist in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what her name was, and they were talking about it. It was interesting. Uh, they had very fond memories of making the movie and were happy with it, even though it didn't get a lot of attention. It didn't. Uh, it was not considered a commercial success, but it's also remembered uh, in part, I guess, historically because it was during the filming of the Frighteners that Michael J. Fox was actually diagnosed with Parkinson's. Is it Parkinson's? Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, I, I believe it's Parkinson's. Think
1: so. I don't want to get. I don't want to miss. like you know. Anyway, I hope that's not giving him the wrong diagnosis. But, um, and that really cast a pall over the, the, uh, his ability to participate in the film. And it was being filmed in New Zealand, so he was flying back and forth. There was a lot of bad things happening in the lives of the people making the movie. But they, they, came, they remembered the time where they all came together. And so and it really comes across as being a film where the characters all kind of do come together. And it's just, it, and it has a spirit and a fun to it. Uh, I like that. And you don't find that in a lot of other movies.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a fun movie. Oh, speaking of fun movies, uh, Beetlejuice. Oh, yes. We got to talk about Beetlejuice. He is the ghost with the most. I'm not sure where I would classify him. I mean, he's definitely a haunting spirit. But the whole ectoplasm thing, I'm not sure.
1: I think, yeah. I mean, I th- he he interacted with people in the real world.
0: Yeah, and he possessed people in the real world. I believe. Oh yeah, because there was the whole uh, the scene with the um, cocktail shrimp, yes, where he makes those people sing, or maybe it was the uh, the the couple that were mm-hmm. making the people sing. But yeah. either way,
1: but yeah, he's he's the ghost with the most. Um, and in addition to the movie, there was the the uh, cartoon was actually pretty good. I remember watching the cartoon every Saturday morning. There are a lot of others we could talk about,
0: (laughs) but we've gone on
1: for a while. Maybe this indicates we should do a supplemental uh, segment another time about other uh, ghost movies uh, or even subsets of these ghost movies, because there's a lot of good options. And there's something inherently surreal about ghost movies. So it ties into a lot of what we talk about thematically.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in conclusion, watch Ghost.
1: And The Haunting. But, (laughs) But the original one, not the new one. Yeah. And that'll give you a lot of, of options and inspiration, we hope, for uh, integrating dead PCs into your uh, Invisible Sun game. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at drscottrobinson on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at tex underscore red on Twitter. So leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find the show. Uh, Or tell a friend about the show, and that would be another great way to help us out. Thanks.